G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Tennis Director, Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Well, welcome, Matt, one and all, to the first serve. It is your home of tennis so weekly. We're taking your calls tonight, one 736 736 or your text, 0433981116. Uh, Brett Phillips uh, back with you from our little first serve suburbia hub. We're just five days out from the rescheduled French Open. From its normal late May, early June slot, it's certainly going to be different. The Babylon Ball is to be replaced by the Wilson Ball. Potential indoor conditions with a new roof on centre court. Matches going into the evening under lights with less daylight in Paris. Four to five degrees cooler. Four kilometre per hour higher winds on average. We've got it all covered here. And then there is the crowds. Originally, it was going to be 11,500 on site per day into segregated areas. But with the coronavirus numbers certainly climbing in France with a second wave, the numbers will be scaled back to 5,000 spectators on site. There'll be no Ash Barty, Bianca Andrescu, who won the US Open. We've almost forgotten about Bianca, who hasn't actually played competitively since, uh, what, October last year. So she's still out. Naomi Osaka, after winning the US Open, won't play with that hamstring. All in the top ten. Ash Barty's coach, Craig Tyser, coming up on the show tonight to explain the year that has unfolded for that pair. Australia's women's representation will be Isla Tomlanovic and using her protected ranking, Daria Gavrilova, who last week made her tennis comeback after a year out of the game making the quarterfinals from qualifying at an ITF event. It's a big road back for Dasha. I'll tell you what, if you just want a good laugh, follow Daria Gavrilova on social media. It'll just get you up and about and put you in a magnificent mood. Alex Demonor, John Millman, Jordan Thompson, James Duckworth and Alexi Poprin, who missed the US Open, will be, of course, main draw participants. Uh, qualifying got underway last night, our time. It's actually live right now. Aussie pair Mark Polmans and Alexander Vukic, uh, like this young man, he's inside the top 200 and making a little bit of noise, advanced to the second round. Alex Bold and Chris O'Connell lost to lower-ranked opponents. On court as we speak, uh, Max Purcell, who I can tell you has taken the first set 6-4. He's taking on a young Frenchman. And also taking on a young Frenchman is Victoria's Andrew Harris. But it's going a little pear-shaped for Andrew at the moment. 6-1, 4-1 down. So uh, differing situations for our two Aussie men out on court in Paris at the moment. Astra Sharma and Arena Rodionova will feature in the women's qualities. We've heard from Roland Garros officials that a female player in the qualifying draw tested positive for COVID. So around 900 tests have been carried out. On the men's side, five players were forced to withdraw overall, two of the five testing positive, while three were confirmed to be close contacts of a coach who returned a positive test. Pretty interesting few days ahead. I just get a feeling that 
Uh, a few more developments and twists and turns are going to happen before we get to uh, the opening day on Sunday. Uh, the build-up to the French Open on clay saw the Italian Open played in Rome. Novak Djokovic uh, putting the New York unfortunate exit behind him to claim his 36 Masters 1000 title. It puts him one ahead of Nadal with a 7-5-6-3 win over the little Argentine. you got to love him. Diego Schwartzman, who was three love up in the opening set. He was seeing the trophy and then... Of course, um, Djokovic does what he normally does and just uh, absolutely uh, squashes you. Schwartzman, uh, with that quarterfinal scalp of uh, Rafael Nadal, the Spaniards' first tournament back since playing in Acapulco all the way back in February. Where does that leave the 12-time Roland Garros winner? You might like to weigh in on that. one 736 736 Aiming for a 13th French Open, but coming off... Such a limited preparation. I've been an unabashed fan of the Canadian Denis Shapovalov, a semi-finalist in Rome over the weekend and climbing into the top 10 in the rankings for the first time. The next decade is going to be pretty exciting with Denis heading fully into his prime. Simona Halep claimed the Women's Italian Open trophy, six love in the first set, just 20 minutes against Carolina Pliskova. And when Halep led 2-1 in the second, the Czech retired with a left thigh injury. So hoping to be right for Paris by the weekend... We didn't see Simona, of course, at the US Open, but she's used the extended break to do a lot of physical work. She moves exceptionally well, as we know, on the clay. She's won the French. Darren Cale in her corner. What a time coming up for Darren Cale. We have an eye on Port Adelaide. He's on the board there. They're finished top. He'll be watching on that first final in about a week and a half's time and also trying to guide Simona Halep to another French Open title. She's certainly the player to beat in Paris next week. No doubt about that. No Barty, no Andrescu, Osaka and possibly Pliskova in the top 10. Of the other top tenors, Australian Open winner Sophia Kennan registering a double bagel loss in Rome. Svitolina not having had a lot of matches under her belt. Kiki Burton's really not in the conversation to win a major as far as I'm concerned. And then there's Serena. Now the opportunity for mine has absolutely passed her to equal Margaret Court's record of 24 majors. Seven wins in a fortnight is just not achievable now. I think there's enough evidence to just put this one to bed. And on Saturday, she turns 39 years of age. I think it's just going to be too big an ask. How about Stan Vavrinka and Magnus Norman parting ways on the eve of the uh, French Open? Eight years together, they won the Australian Open, the French Open and the US Open, amongst many other titles. So that has been a great partnership. As we've teased on our socials over the last few days, we can announce tonight on the show that we have to give away four Wilson prize packs, thanks to our good friends at Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery. If you order over 150 bucks, just go to their website, tennisdirect.com.au right now. First serve listeners can get a 10% discount store-wide. SCN listeners, whoever else is listening, use the promo code First serve 10. So we've got two of the Wilson RG Clash 100 G3 rackets and all the accessories that go with it to the value of $500 and two of the Wilson RG Blade 98 rackets and all the accessories to the value of $500 to give away. So to view what is an offer, we've just put it up on our socials over the last hour. So just head to our Facebook page, our Twitter account, or our Instagram account. It'll also be up on our website, thefirstserve.com.au this hour. So however you access the first serve, you'll find all the details of what's on offer and what you need to do to be in contention to win. The Wilson competition will be open for the next six weeks. We're going to close that off at the end of October, announce all our winners in our final month of broadcasting this year in November. So just head to our socials or our website while you're listening tonight and all the details are certainly there. Well, globally, the French Open is certainly the focus, but closer to home here in Australia, as you're aware, for those that listen regularly to us 
some attention has been put on your concerns about grassroots tennis in Australia and some heavy criticism levelled at Tennis Australia by the Tennis Folk of Australia. The correspondence and feedback to this show has come from far and wide. It's been coming in post our 18th, 25th and 31st of August shows. If you missed any of those, you can go back and listen by subscribing to the first serve or through our website. Without backing over all that was mentioned, there was many common responses shared by a lot of you who are at the coalface of the game, taking me and the listeners to this program inside your innermost concerns about the state of grassroots tennis. Now, what I mentioned that this show would actually do was to get a Tennis Australia response. We're very much hoping that next Monday night on the show, the CEO of Tennis Australia, who's always made himself available to come on the first serve, Craig Tiley, will be on to answer your concerns specifically. We're just waiting on exact confirmation. If not next Monday, hopefully in the very near future. So we're certainly going to follow that one up. Jeremy Delaney is a a former Australian futures player who's spent quite a bit of time in Europe also, seeing how the grassroots development works in that part of the world. And he did write to me over the last week with some very interesting thoughts. In fact, I'll just read the little bit of correspondence that he did send me. In my opinion, it's very obvious what the main issue with Australian grassroots tennis is. It is simply the poor third world facilities on offer. 95% of the facilities in this country are outdated and really not relevant to today's modern game. Juniors in Europe are growing up on clay, which is very well maintained, a surface that teaches you how to move well, teaches you how to construct points, where good technique is a must. The game is completely different on clay. It's like playing chess. You really have to think. Play a lot of angles and open up the court. It really is a tactical game. It's an easy transition from clay to hard court. It makes hard court feel so easy to play on when you get some help from the court, which you don't get from the clay. You have to beat your opponent fair and square by grinding them down on clay. It's the ultimate surface to learn the game as a junior. That was just the early part of his email. Uh, Jeremy, great to have you on the show tonight. Yeah, thanks, uh, Brett, for having me. I read a bit of your email a little bit earlier. I just want to get to the the key points of that. And obviously, you've listened to our show over a period. I know you're based up there in Sydney and and listen in quite regularly, whether it's live or through our podcast uh, through the week. You've played, you've seen the system, you now have stepped out of that and in a, a different role in tennis. But one thing that I suppose is noticeable to a lot of people in Australia, Jeremy, is, and we've been, we feel like we've been talking about this for quite some time, is the lack of clay courts. And, you know, we, we mm. if you drive past a lot of suburban uh, tennis clubs, the synthetic grass is the preferred surface. I know I did a project with Monash City Council and their clubs uh, last year, and a lot were going away from the Ontocar to the synthetic grass. It was easy to maintain, but it's not a great thing for really developing players is it just take us through your experience and probably your annoyance that this is a surface that we're seeing on you know too many courts around Australia yeah that's right I mean um, I I see it all the time and I've I've been uh, discussing this with you know friends and anyone that's that's in the tennis industry for a number of years now and you, you just watch the professional game and you see where their game's uh, were developed. You look at, especially on the men's side, all the dominant players over the last, you know, sort of 10, 15 to 20 years have, have come out of Europe um, and they've grown up on clay. That's a fact. And clay is obviously a, 
a slower surface that teaches you from a young age how to move properly on, on a tennis court, teaches you how to construct points. You know, there, there are far longer rallies on it. It also te- teaches you patience. Uh, all, all of what the faster services are that are predominantly in our country don't teach you. You know, there, there's there, well, there's minimal help from the surface when playing on clay versus, say, a faster synthetic grass where you hit a flat ball on synthetic grass, the point's over. Uh, yep. That's as simple as that. Um, and, you know, you, you've got a good serve on, on a fast surface. It's all about the serve. It's, it's not about uh, constructing points and... Um, really thinking, you know, about what you're doing. Um, and I, I think that's really reflected in the, I, I guess, lack of world-class players that this country has produced over the last sort of 10 to 15 years. I mean, we, we've had a, you know, we, we've got a few uh, sort of players with really good potential, but they haven't been able to really um, come through, especially on those lower surfaces. If you look at the uh, results, especially at, say, Roland Garros over the last, 15 to 20 years by Australian men's players, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's nothing, there, there's nothing there to really talk about. <laughs> you know, I, I think the last sort of um, reasonable achievement was was with Hewitt sort of making the quarters a couple of times in the early yeah. 2000s, but since then it's it's been pretty uh, poor, to be honest. Yeah, you're pretty candid in your email to me. I'll just read this little section here. This crappy surface is non-existent on the uh, pro tours and in Europe and the US, so juniors are growing up on something they'll never play on in tournament play or pro tours. Why are our juniors growing up on this rubbish? It just doesn't make sense. The game is not serving volley anymore. Hasn't been for 20-odd years. The game is back of the court, grinding on slower surfaces. This is the modern game. When will Tennis Australia and the state tennis authorities understand this? You also sent me a clip of... You know, such a revered figure in Australian tennis, Tony Roach, who I don't think anyone would say a bad word about Tony Roach and what he's done in Australian tennis as a coach. It was 2009 that he was really pleading the case and we haven't really, uh, from the evidence, seen uh, that really progress. That's right. I mean, the, the fact is that um, Daddy Grass, for example, is an unrecognised surface. Uh, there, there's no ATP or WTA tennis events played on it so what what chance do our juniors have when i'd say roughly maybe 85 to 90 percent of the tennis facilities in australia are synthetic grass court to me that's a a fundamental issue i try not to be negative but i I think it is a fundamental problem with with tennis development and um I think it really shows Tennis Australia's inability to, you know, adapt to the modern day game. And and really for us to develop consistent world-class players that can contend in the slams and, and go deep into slams consistently, uh, we, we need to do something seriously about it um, and, and we need to adapt to the modern day game. Jeremy, can I just ask you about your experiences in Europe, I mean, we talk about the huge volume of European players, and we know that you know tennis there. It's in a lot of those countries. It's uh, it, it's right up there as you know the preferred sport. Just tell us about your experiences going through Europe. You did some coaching there, you know, just in terms of how the clubs are set up, what they put a priority on in in you know player development. Well, I mean, they've got um, you know groundsmen there looking after clay from 
the, the clay courts from, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning um, until, you know, dark. I mean, you know, I won't shy away from saying that, you know, clay has to be maintained, but, you know, it, it's something about the clubs having a passion for the game in Europe. And, and you, you certainly see that. I mean, all the facilities are kept in a very good standard. You rarely see a tennis club in Europe that's run down, whereas, you know, you can see them here by the dozen. Um, it seems synthetic grass has just been thrown in and then left to, you know, sort of rot away. You know, there's, there's no sort of... I think that's the idea that, you know, we lay this, there's no maintenance, then we just, you know, hire out the courts for the next 20 years and, and, and we're done. In Europe, there's a lot of pride taken uh, in these clubs, I mean, um, you know, a lot of the clubs over there have have a bistro, they have a bar. It's a real social community, um, and really, it was a real eye opener when I, I I spent quite a bit of time, sort of between 2010 to 2013, over there, and mm. um, just coming back here and and really not seeing that community environment that I was getting over there um, is a real shame and there's absolutely no reason why we cannot have that here um, because we've got the weather. I think we've got the people that are, are, are keen fans and, and players of the game. Um, we should be thriving here. The game should be thriving here. But I think certainly, you know, the, the powers to be have something to answer for, I think, as to why it's it's not. And, and that's the only reason I reached out to you is because I I want to see the game grow and I'm sure the uh, majority of the the tennis fans throughout the Australian public want to see the same. It it seems very clear to me and other people that I've spoken to that, you know, the changes have to be made and I I think it would be a, a major step for Tennis Australia to really start taking away synthetic grass and, and installing okay. clay courts and also hard courts to go with it. I appreciate your passion. Uh, you, like so many, have made contact with our show, either on air, a lot off air, who don't necessarily want to be revealed for their own reasons. But there's a lot of passion of people around Australia who want to see uh, tennis, particularly at that grassroots pathway level, just done a hell of a lot better. Jeremy, time's always on the fly for me, but I really appreciate you giving us some of your insights as someone who's played, coached, and who's really passionate about Australian tennis and will keep on it here on the first serve. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, Yeah, I'd look forward to hearing from... Craig about you know some of these issues that have been raised by certain yep. members of the public. Yeah, hopefully that'll be next Monday, if not in the very near future. There he is, Jeremy Delaney, uh, joining us, who played the game and yeah, really passionate about the uh, the amount of synthetic grass courts, uh, too many for his liking here in Australia. You might like to weigh in on that, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or on the text 0433 98 11 16. Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store, fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Their website is tennisdirect.com.au. First serve listeners can get a 10% discount store-wide. You Use the promo code first serve team. We've got those four Wilson prize packs to the value of five hundred dollars each to give away. So all the information is up on our social pages on our website. Uh, you can see all the details of how you need to enter and uh, be in contention to win. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate, servicing all of Melbourne. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell or have your property investment managed, uh, make contact with David and his team, 95584599 or top-agents.com.au. You're listening to The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis.
thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. The first serve, Brett Phillips with you tonight. Unfortunately, Andrew Harris uh, bombing out of French Open qualifying. Better news for Max Purcell, 6-4-4-3 he leads at the moment. Nathan Hilly doing some great work with uh, Max. Well, not to be for Ash Barty, as we know, to go back and defend her French Open title in 2020, the world number one, as we know, also bypassing the US Open. How has that all come to be in a year that no one could have predicted or planned for? Her coach, Craig Tizer, our feature guest in a far from normal year. Yeah, look, very strange. You know, I think initially, you know, we were just a bit unsure about the seriousness of this and, and where it was going to go. And I guess for me personally, initially, it was nice just to be home for a while. I quite enjoyed that stage of just being home, spending time with the family. But yeah, the amount of time now, it's sort of, we've really gone, you know, wow, this this is a, a lot of tennis we've missed, a lot of this year we've missed. And yeah, we'd certainly like to be back into it and, and, and playing again now. Just for our listeners, maybe a comparison of your 2019 compared to 2020, you talk about, yeah, that opportunity to be at home, to be around your family and, and that seems to have resonated across so many people in tennis uh, in 2020 just to maybe really appreciate that time but how many weeks would you have been on the road say last year as an example or certainly away from Melbourne? Yeah away from Melbourne I'm probably 30 to 35 weeks and yeah a lot of that time because we do training up in Brisbane just because of the weather and where that sits for Ash to her being able to be at home and you know the the centre's great facilities good we get a lot of training done up there so um, spend a bit more time our training doing up there but yeah there's times where you know we're through the European swing it's 16 you know weeks on the road non-stop so you're away you know I don't think I've seen a Melbourne winter for such a long time so to stay home and experience that wasn't what I expected yeah lucky you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know yeah well, the, the sun does follow people in tennis and, yeah, I, I think it, it must be strange for a lot of Australian players to be here during an, an Australian winter or life. If you're up in uh, Queensland, it's almost felt like mm. it's just totally normal compared to us in Melbourne. Different people in different parts of Australia. So take us inside the decision for Ash not to go to the US and now not to go and defend her Roland Garros title. Obviously, each to their own and everyone's approached this differently from a safety and health point of view. But how much of that compared to you not being able to get up there and actually train with Ash and do the prep that you guys would normally do? What would be the percentage breakdown of culminating all that together to make a decision not to go to the US and now not to Paris? Yeah, look, the US one, I think we initially made just on on totally on health and safety. We just didn't know what the circumstances were going to be like playing over there. And especially for us in Australia, the travel is a big part of it. You know, we have to fly to different countries before we get to the US and then travel domestically through the US as well. So the risks and the numbers that they were crunching in the US at that stage was a big no-no for us to go you know, is it worth flying over there to, to not know if we were going to play, you know, if we get the opportunity to play. And then also knowing once we were on the road, we were on the road because we couldn't come back to Australia without having to quarantine again. So the US one was a was a fairly easy one for us in that sense, that it was totally just, okay, for our health and safety, we just want to avoid that. So then we looked at the European swing because Ash had been in touch with quite a few of the girls in Europe and you know, they were operating okay. Things seemed to be going well. So then we planned on our almost a two-month training block to try and get ready for to head over to play. First of all, it was going to play in Madrid, Rome, and then the French Open. 
and sort of in the process of looking for, we tried for an exemption for the quarantine so that I could actually just be on court with Ash for the time of coaching and stuff, not do anything else but on court. And by the time we got through that process, sort of the numbers in Victoria hit really high. This is when we hit the start of the second wave. And I think we got really close to getting sort of across the line and approved and then it got knocked on the head. So it would have meant that I would have had to go on 14 days in hard lockdown quarantine, which would have meant Ashes put behind with her training. You know, she could have done some training, but she didn't want to go ahead without me being there and not knowing where she was at tennis-wise. It would have been difficult. So that sort of almost made the decision for her to go, well, and and especially Madrid got cancelled in that time period too. So then she went, well, I'm going to have maybe Rome beforehand and then have to go and defend the French Open title. Am, Am I going to be ready with limited preparation? So she just decided, you know, for all those reasons that she'd take the rest of this year off and just go, look, let's just wipe it off and start again if we can next year. Was that annoying for you not to be able to get that exemption considering that every sporting code in Australia has made Queensland their home and all these hubs set up and millions of dollars spent and Queensland really becoming the sporting capital of Australia in the last three to four months that people from the outside might go, gee, Ash Barty's the world number one and look what she's done. I mean, surely we can get this through. I think we, because we applied for me to be able to go on court straight away yeah so the risk assessment you know program that we went through sort of put me a couple of hours every day on court with ash when even with the afl they've had transition hubs where they've been 14 days away from everyone else so i actually would have been obviously would have kept distance and tried to minimize contact as much as possible but i think the risks that the chief health officer saw were just too great for ash and and understand that completely. Like, their job is to obviously keep everyone safe. So, yeah, look, we didn't disagree with what, what their decision was that came down. So, you know, we understand it completely. And it's the same reason we, we didn't want to travel overseas. So, you know, I've got nothing against them. I'm actually glad that the football's gone ahead because being locked down in Melbourne, it's given us something to be able to watch and do, which has been great. Yeah, I think everyone would uh, agree in unison uh, with you there. So yeah. what contact have you guys had? How much communication have you guys had? What have you spoken about? It's such a different situation to normally just being on the road together, training, playing, preparing. Yeah, look, a lot a lot of conversations and a lot of talk. We're, you know, we're pretty regular each week with, with what the plan is for the week and what she's going to do. She hasn't stopped playing. She's she's actually been hitting two to three times sort of every week just to and doing her fitness just to stay in touch with all of it because not knowing when we would sort of head back and do it but the last month's actually been I've been able to do some online stuff with her on on court so Darren McMurtry who heads up the performance analysis at Tennis Australia has sort of set up a situation where I can watch Ash train on court live and and give her feedback and set up the program and and she's been hitting with Ben Mathias up there pretty regularly so we've been able to work on some stuff which has been good um, for her just to stay in touch with it all yeah she's also done a few other things she's you know she's the Indigenous Ambassador for Tennis Australia. So she's been doing, she went to Cairns and opened the new venue up there. So she's done a few things in in that sense. She's also got a golf handicap down significantly and just won a tournament. I was going to say, I saw that bob up today. Incredible. I mean, we know she's multi-talented and she's done very well when she had a go at cricket there for a little while and Tiger Woods commented about her golf swing last year when he was here for the President's Cup. Yeah, I know. Look, she's, I think she's got a handicap down to three and she really doesn't practice much. So he goes out and plays and, and it's frustrating as all hell for us in Victoria because we can't even get onto a golf course and, and hit a ball. So I'm a bit annoyed because I couldn't beat her before. So 
so now I've got no chance. So, <laughs> so do you think maybe when we eventually put this year behind us, in some ways this could be a great period, not only for Ash, but just a lot of tennis players to actually have gone away in the last few months without having to worry about playing week in, week out, just have a really good look at what they've got, what they can really work on, do a much bigger pre-season than they normally would. We always talk about the length of a tennis season, that one season ends, next season starts almost immediately. How do you think we'll look back on this year, just in terms of players maybe forecasting forward for their own game? It might it might help a lot of players. Yeah, look, I think it's given Ash an opportunity to be at home and spend time with family and friends and, and do things that we don't normally get to do. You know, it was a, a pretty solid year last year. She played, you know, first matches in Hopman Cup and went right through to Fed Cup final. So she probably played the longest of anyone on tour with regard to time and played a lot of matches through that time. So, look, in some sense it was disappointing because it was a good start to the start of this year for her with, you know, Adelaide, the Aussie Open and also over in Dubai. So for her to have those starts and then not sort of continue on being world number one this year is disappointing. But, yeah, we look at the positives and, and go on, look, you wouldn't have got this chance to spend time at home this year to do what you've done. It's nice to be able to just sit back and relax sometimes. We don't normally get to do it. But I think she's pretty ready to get back into it now and, and get started again. So, you know, we're hoping that the Aussie summer kicks off really well here. What are you hearing around the traps? I don't know any more than, than anyone else. I've, you know, had a few conversations with Craig Tiley with regard to where it's all heading and, and looks promising and, and it looks like it's all going to go ahead. So Ash has also been in discussion with a few of the, the girls like Simona Halep and Kiki Burton's Petra Kvitova about probably coming out earlier and maybe doing some match play together. But we just don't know what that looks like. So we're trying to get some exhibition matches going in December with those girls, but they're going to have to quarantine whether they can do a, a similar situation to what the AFL did with a transition hub where they can train and hit and then be ready. That's what we hope, which means the girls will get some match play before January. And it'd be good to get to, you know, especially if it's Ash and Simona, that's one and two in the world, you know, out here to play, it'd be fantastic to yep. get some exhibitions going with them around the country. Great preparation, no doubt. Just speaking of the women's game and those players and just the, the two are coming back in New York, I imagine you would have taken in a bit of tennis watching the US Open. Now, what, what did you take out of the fortnight? Obviously, we didn't see a full representation, six of the top 10 women not playing, but that also saw some other players get a real opportunity to go a little bit deeper. What did you take out of watching? Look, I think that that's what it showed is that you know, without six of the top 10 girls, it sort of gave the opportunity to other girls to get through deeper in tournaments where they don't normally, that normally doesn't happen. I thought Naomi was, you know, a standout throughout. I felt like she was going to be the one always to beat. Vika, obviously, Ash has spent a lot of time with Vika and playing doubles, we know her really well. And she's put in a lot of hard work to, you know, she moved down to Florida, put in a lot of training and um, has obviously done a lot of work with her movement and that. She looked amazing. So I think just the fact that she played so much tennis in that time probably took it out of a towards the end of the tournament but yeah I watched uh, you know bits and pieces I wanted to watch some of the players I haven't seen a lot of so I watched a bit of that as well and I've done the same with Rome over the last week so but it's interesting to see like someone like Simona back and the better girls and you know once they step back in they sort of take control a bit more again. So how does that make you then think about the next period with Ashman obviously she's got to world number one for a reason her game is all court it's skillful she's got all the facets sort of ticked and obviously you're always looking for that you know small incremental improvement all the time but Cordero Osaka absolutely moved better and that was probably the fault of her that she didn't maybe defend as well as she could and then she can turn that into obviously huge firepower off the ground. What's going to be the next evolution of Ash's game do you think just to keep herself uh, above that pack and we know how tight it is in the women's game? Yeah look we've you 
know, we've flagged a few things that we're going to work on through the next, through this training block. You know, I'm hoping to go up in the next few weeks to Queensland and, and you know, we'll start a training block sort of mid-October and go right through. So we've flagged a few things we're going to work on. She's actually changed to gut through this period as well, which we thought was a great opportunity to get her, tried it once before and it, we didn't have enough time to really get her to get the feel of it quick enough. So having this amount of time off has given her the chance to change the gut, which is which will just increase her power and shot-making ability through her game a bit more. So that's one change we've implemented already and she's quite enjoying that, the feel of it. So I think that'll certainly help improve the game. But yeah, there's a few areas that we want to get right and she's worked on through this period a little bit as well, which will help improve her game. But we'll go back to the basics and work on court speed, her strength, you know, her, her biggest assets are her ability to adapt differently to matches. Mm. Her all-court game, you know, we will keep developing all that parts of it, using her slice, using her two-handed backhand, you know, dictating off her forehand. Those things won't change a lot. But, yeah, we obviously want to get them better and, and stronger. Her serve's obviously been a massive weapon through that. So we'll keep working on that and keep improving that as well. So, yeah, look, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how everyone comes back. I mean, you know, watching Rafa play, you know, he's obviously underdone and not right. So, you know, without matches, it's hard to know because, you know, you can train and do as much as you like, but without match play, it's, it's difficult to sort of gauge where you're at. So that's why we hope to get a few matches in December for it to, before we hit the summer here. The certainties of tennis in an uncertain year now become a little less certain in terms of predicting uh, results and maybe you know, chance exactly. more upsets, which, you know, makes for uh, interesting uh, viewing. Just a last one for you. As, as a coach, I mean, we hope everything goes back to normal next year, although tennis is probably going to take a bit of time to totally recover due to its global nature and all the logistics and trying to get everything back together. Do you think it'll change the way you go about coaching? Do you think there'll be times when maybe sometimes you're not on the road or you're doing it a little bit differently? Will the dynamics change or do you think once we get back to normal it'll just sort of be the way you guys operated in the past? Look, I hope it goes back to what we've been able to do, but yeah, you're right. Like, we don't know what we're going to be able to do, what what we can and can't do with regard to training, let alone playing at tournaments. So, you know, the numbers, they've decreased the numbers of people you can take to tournaments, so it will certainly be a different landscape, but yeah, like even, as I said, the last month I've been doing online coaching with Ash, and that may be something we do a bit more of. I said, it's, it's, it's nice that I can stay in, you know, basically in my lounge room and watch you train and play, and you know, it might be the way we go for the rest of the year if we can't all travel together or be, you know, even in Australia, we can't even get into certain states, so yeah, I don't know what it'll look like, but yeah, I'm hopeful that it goes back to some sort of normal just that you know that's where we've done our best that's where things have worked the best but we've also included in you know everything ash does is that you know you can you can only control the things you can control so the things that are out of your control we go okay well we just deal with that so in a lot of respects we've tried to train ourselves to do a lot of this situation beforehand not to this scope obviously but ash has certainly started to do that really well so look you know i think we'll we'll just deal with what we get when it happens and and we'll work through all those situations and i think ash will be fine there he is, uh, Craig Tyers, the coach of Ash Barty. Uh, great to have a chat with Tyers uh, yesterday and hopefully they can get back together before the year is out and prepare for a big Aussie summer. We'll come back with plenty more here on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com.
Well, we're going to check in with our resident physio, Rob Brandon from Evolve Physio Group. They're trusted by Sports Elite and all their patients, the rank and file like you and me, receive the latest in treatments uh, just like the Sports Elite when you come in. Uh, they're located at 492 St Kilda Road in Melbourne, open right throughout the Stage 4 restrictions. You can find out about all their services and book an appointment online, evolvesports.physio. Rob Brandon, welcome back, Rob. Uh, hey, Brett. Good to be back. Nice to have you on the show. We're going to talk about the knee uh, tonight. We know it's slowed down. Rafa, the, of course, patella tendon. We saw Bethany Maddox-Sands. I don't like uh, having that image in my mind, uh, uh, rupturing her patella tendon a few years ago at Wimbledon. Where on the knee is the patella tendon? And for those you know recreational players out there, even if they might be going at the full pace at the, uh, you know, the, the elite are, it's a, a pretty important part of the body to have functioning. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the the patella tendons, that sort of ropey bit that connects your uh, your patella, so right at the bottom of your kneecap to the the top of your shin. Yeah. Um, you know, you can feel it if you run your fingers over the top of the the bony bit. Uh, you feel this nice kind of fleshy rope sensation um, just underneath it. In Rafa's case, he seems you know much better now with the knees, but it gave him you know a lot of trouble several years ago. Why did it take him so long to actually get over it, Rob? Do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean. It's such a complex injury. I mean, tendon injuries, uh, I guess not just the patella tendon, but sort of the Achilles tendon fits into the same bracket. But um, often it's, it's, it's such a, a prolonged degeneration, essentially, of the tendon. So, you know, for someone like Rafa's case that goes 100 miles an hour all the time, uh, he'd been progressively loading and, and, and essentially sort of wearing out that tendon for, for many, many years. Uh, so it, it often takes then a prolonged period of time, you know, sometimes a good six to 12 months um, to, to turn that around. And for him particularly as well, because he was trying to, you know, continue to play and manage it, uh, he just eventually had to bite the bullet and, and take that bit of time off court, you know, go right back to basics and, and, um, and build his strength build his, his tendon loads back up again uh, before he was back at a point where he could play competitively. So you often hear the term tendonitis. Is that still the case? Uh, no, yeah, the term tendonitis is a bit defunct these days. So yeah. um, you know, that, that term really def- refers to the injury being like an inflammation, so the itis meaning uh, an inflammation of the tendon. But now we realise that's not really totally true. The the tendon itself doesn't get inflamed because when we look at it under a microscope, we don't actually see any inflammatory cells within the tendon. You can get inflammation around the tendon, uh, but the, the tendon itself doesn't get inflamed. Probably the, the, the true term now is what we refer to as a tendinopathy, um, which refers to a, essentially a breakdown of the tendon. Um, I like to kind of try and use the analogy when I'm describing it to patients of describing the, the tendon a little bit like an optic fibre cable. It's got lots of little yeah. bundles of fibres and for that tendon to work properly, all those fibres need to be nice and tightly packed together and, and that's what gives it its strength. But when we get a problematic tendon, what's actually happening is those fibres are just sort of ever so slightly starting to, to split apart and, and that makes the tendon... Um, uh, not as capable as of bearing the stresses and strains that we need it to. Yeah, really interesting, Rob. I know you've written a piece too. We'll uh, put that up on our uh, social media, the link 
uh, to uh, the patella tendon, a really uh, fascinating part of the body. For tennis players, gee, the, the physical strain on their bodies now, particularly playing on the hard courts, certainly does take its toll. 492 St Kilda Road is where you can find Evolve Physio Group. Uh, go on their website, evolvesports.physio. You can make an appointment and go and see the team and they will look after you with expert service. Thank you, Rob. Nice to talk. Thanks, Brad. Rob Brandon, just a couple of texts to finish on the back of uh, Jeremy Delaney earlier. Completely agree with Jeremy's analysis. Far too many synthetic grass courts, particularly in Victoria, and circumstances where there are no pro tournaments. It makes no sense to have any clubs having synthetic courts. We are privileged to host a Grand Slam, which generates so much money for Tennis Australia. Why does it seem that so little of this is invested in grassroots to change the surfaces to predominantly hard court or clay? It's frankly embarrassing how we are a first world country with a Grand Slam that, in my opinion, is the best event in Australia, and we still make our juniors train on synthetic or onto car. Completely agree with Jeremy's analysis. Far too many synthetic grass courts in Victoria. Frankly, embarrassing. Uh, that is also resonating with Anthony from Coburg North. Thank you for joining us. We'll do it all again next Monday night. Back to our regular time clock of 7 o'clock. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to the live shows you miss on a Monday night. Plus our weekly-themed podcast content, including Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers, and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of content to listen to weekly. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.